And the rest of us will continue this morning in a new sermon series called Unplugged. So a few weeks ago, I was putting together a whole bunch of lists of things I might cover, and this was one that came to mind uh, about a month ago, or so, maybe even a little more than a month ago. And uh, now we're going we're gonna to dig into it. But I kind of wanted to ask a base question this morning, right? And it's for, true for anybody who's online or anybody who's, you know, in the room or wherever, maybe listening later to the podcast. But do you enjoy Sundays? Like, do you find Sundays to be a blessing, a delight? Or are Sundays like one more thing you got to do this week? You know, it's kind of funny because our calendars usually start with Sunday. And do you think that the first day is a, a blessing and awesome? Or, oof, here goes the pattern again. Here we go. I, I felt compelled, and I felt compelled even more uh, to do this series as we went through this series, How We Fight, because I feel like everyone is just right on edge. And then just about the time we thought we was going to get some relief from being on edge, it feels like the culture is trying to get us on edge again. You know, it's like we were just coming off of this. Can we, you know, get into some normalcy and we're going to, you know, get back to some pat patterns. By the way, this weekend, Schweitzer Fest is running in Highland, which is awesome. And then we had football games Friday night, which is awesome, you know. And uh, so there's so many people who are just longing for the normal life that we've loved. And, uh, and yet we feel like, I feel like we're often getting spooled up again to be stressed out and angry and upset. And so I really wanted to come back into the series called Unplugged to talk about um, the need that we have for rest, for restoration, and silence. <laughs> the last one might be the hardest, <laughs> but rest, restoration, and silence. And so we're going to talk about that today, starting with the idea of our need for a Sabbath rest. Uh, pray with me, if you would, as we enter into God's Word. Uh, Father God, we thank you for this morning a chance to come and sit at your feet and learn from you. We pray, Father, this morning that as we do that, that you would be our teacher and we'd be humbled. We would humble ourselves in your presence and listen to you. And Lord, that includes me. I don't pretend to have some special knowledge, Father, but only a special relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, that all of us who believe have. That you dwell in us, that you will teach us in our hearts and minds what we ought to know and believe and then how we ought to live. So this morning, Father, I don't pray for some kind of man-made conviction. I pray for your Holy Spirit's blessing that we might know the path you've made for us, know the blessings you've laid out for us, and then indulge in those, live in those things. Help your word be proclaimed rightly by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help it be heard rightly as we gather this morning to listen to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how many of you know, have heard of Sabbath before? Almost everyone, like, can we get some, a few hands? That's maybe like 25% of the room, okay? As 25% of you have heard of Sabbath, I don't believe it. Probably all of you have heard of Sabbath at some point, right? Um, and, and where does the idea of Sabbath rest comes fr come from? And I want to start this morning in the very beginning of the Bible. This is going to kind of be a biblical survey of Sabbath and why it would be a thing at all. And... Um, and the uniqueness of Sabbath rest. So we're going to go to Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3 to start with this morning. You've heard this before, but we're going to, we're going to read it together. Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. 
And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating what he had done. All the work of creating that he had done. And so we have this in the very first thing, the beginning of the creation of everything where God speaks into existence. It says he created this on day one and that on day two and day three and day four. And it gets to day six and the most unexpected thing happens. God just stops doing it. He's like, that's it. And I know we can have a whole thing about that. Well, because he made, you know, his creation and it was what he wanted and it's very good now. And he just goes, that's it. But it says that on that seventh day right here that God had finished the work he was doing, and on the seventh day, he then rested from all his work. And I want to unpack those two ideas for just a minute, thinking of God here and God's work of creation. Work defined means his labor or his craftsmanship, the business of God, his occupation or the property, the things that he has to care for, his performance or the task list, God's to-do list. Indeed, his service to mankind, to all creation, the word says that he rested. Indeed, the service to himself. God stopped. He's like, that's good enough. I'm taking a break. Do you ever think about the fact that everything we experience in this life from our first breath to our final breath to all of eternity, we are experiencing God's own work, the very work of God. I won't go too far on this, but one of the things that I've found particularly difficult in our current culture is that we're acting as if the things that exist exist in a vacuum apart from God. But everything you've known, you ever heard the analogy like you're like a fish in water? Everything you've ever known is the work of God. The way you're made, the way the world works, the, the, the blessings and the struggles, all of the things that we have are a result of the work of God that he instituted when he began. So he, he rested on the seventh day from the work he had done. Well, let's get to that word real quick. This is your baseline for the message today, the rest of God, because he did indeed rest. I love this uh, word. It's called repose. Repose. I'm like, well, that's a fancy word for rest. I repose. But you know, repose means that you stop after a lot of exertion. <laughs> You've done a lot for six days. And the seventh day, you rest, you repose. You've strained yourself hard. You've poured everything into what you're trying to do, and then you stopped. It's the same word that's the root of our idea of sleep, to literally lose consciousness, to take a break, to be still. And here's the final idea of rest, to celebrate. He stopped from all the work to rest, to celebrate what he had done, to, to take a break from it. I, I, I have to admit to you that I have a hard time getting my head around God taking a break. Just going, yeah, that's good. That's enough. I've done it. What I wanted to do. And so we have this baseline principle of rest that God, God's self demonstrates by not 
filling the seventh day with stuff. I've heard people say before, can you imagine how much more he could have gotten done at the extra day? I mean, this is pretty cool, but you know, he could have done that extra thing. Not many people say that. We just read and go, yeah, he rested. That's what happened. On the seventh day, God had finished what he was doing, and so he rested from all of his labor, all of his work. So the question is then, why did he rest? Was he tired? Was he finished? Because it does say he finished his work. Was God done? I think we see some glimmers of the purpose of rest of the seventh day in verse 3. And God blessed the seventh day. And God made the seventh day holy. Why? Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating what he had done. And you could read that and go, well, that's just this kind of throwaway thing, right? Like, well, he rested, and so he blessed it. <laughs> he rested, and so he made it holy and separate. But I think his, if you read it the other way around, because on it, he rested from all his work, he blessed it the seventh day. And he made it holy the seventh day. For many people, we've, Think of Sunday being our Sabbath rest. That would mean that if you hold that position, that today is blessed by God, that he blessed it, gave it his favor, gave it his anointing. And indeed, to, to double down the idea of God blessing it is that he made it holy or sacred or sanctified it for his purpose, set it apart for himself, listen, devoted it unto himself the seventh day, dedicated it, and here's a word, consecrated it for a purpose. Because he himself had rested, he set this day aside for sanctification, for devotion, for consecration. Do you know God has set aside a Sabbath because of what he's done? Like when we think about Sabbath, and we're going to get into some practical issues of Sabbath today, but do you think that he set it aside specifically because he, he did the work? That's why he set it aside for his people. Fair enough. Well, God did it. He blessed it. The word says it, therefore it's true, and made it holy and sanctified it for his own purpose. Let's look at that. Let's move forward in the journey. Where's the next stop, would you think? How about Exodus 20? Exodus 20. If you've been around a while, you're going to know, hey, this, this is the narrative that's going to make sense of what God is doing. Exodus 20, if you don't remember from Sunday school, is the time that God starts giving commands to Israel. This is what I expect of you. Here's some basic rules. We usually call them the Ten Commandments found in Exodus 20. But we're going to focus on number four. So Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath. This is God speaking. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Oh, interesting. Six days you shall labor and do all of the work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do not any work, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien who lives among you at your gates, because in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
So God commands his people on a journey. They're busy. They're following God. And even in their act of following God, he says, I'm going to give you a command to keep the Sabbath holy. It's my instruction to you. I think it's interesting because I've, I've not uh, thought about this before this week that I can recall, but the fourth commandment is a transitional commandment. The first three are about God and his holiness. He says, I am Lord your God, right? And have no other false gods. And he has these three commands about how we relate to him. But the fourth one, he says, and therefore keep the Sabbath holy. The day that I said you should rest, rest. And that's the transition because what happens after it, five through 10 are how you treat one another. Isn't that interesting? So the fourth kind of has this thing where God has made a day of rest for everyone. It's all about the first three, about recognizing who God is in our lives. And then because of that, modifying our behavior to take a break once a week, every seven days. And that then feeds into these commands of, and don't kill each other. (laughs) And don't steal from each other. (laughs) I wonder, is some of the root of the sin of five through 10 stuck right in that, not taking a break. I got to have more. I got to do more. I got to get more. The first murder recorded in the Bible is Cain and Abel killing his brother because the offering he made to God was insufficient. He wanted more. See, the command comes to God, uh, from God to his people that we would keep the Sabbath holy. Hear me now as God intended it. <laughs> that it is intended to be set aside for his glory, for rest in him and his purposes, for the work he has already done, to recognize it. These commands were given to people who were actively pursuing him. And by the way, this, these commands are direct statements. These first 10, you ever wonder about this? Because God goes immediately from these first 10 into, and here's the law. And it's identified that way in the Bible. The very next thing that God says in Exodus 20 is, and here's the law. And now you're going to get a whole bunch of stuff you got to do. All this stuff. But the first 10 are like, here's some parameters. Here's some basic structure of your life. They're commanded you, if you are my people, you will behave in these ways. Keep my Sabbath holy because it's mine. Look at what it says. You work six days, do all your work. And that's that sweat of the brow thing. But on the seventh, it's a Sabbath, a rest day to the Lord. A day to the Lord. On it, you shall not do any work, nor anyone in your household, basically. For you and your household, it's a break. It's a day off. You know, uh, some of us will know of the parts of our nation that still have blue laws, right? I think it's called blue laws, where things shut down on Sunday. (laughs) Shut it down, right? This idea that you go through Tennessee and you can't. How many people, I can just ask a question here about Sabbath rest. How many people really want Chick-fil-A on Sunday? How many of y'all been on a road trip and you're like, you know, we're going to have Chick-fil-A. And then it's like, oh, it's Sunday. <laughs> Isn't that a weird thing? Or Hobby Lobby and they close, but on Monday? These businesses that go, we're shutting down. All of our manservants, all of our maidservants, all of our employees, we're going to stop. We're not going to work seven days a week. That's interesting. 
what does it mean that this verse stands at the threshold between how we recognize God and how we treat one another? An employer who demands just a little more, right? We, we talk about like being us, but you know, it's not my fault, man. The job, they demand it, they demand more. What does it mean about taskmasters and slaves that we can't stop for a day and not work? So here's the kind of basic outline. Then you have God's Sabbath rest rooted in his own stopping on the seventh day and this command to his people, as you pursue me, and they pursued him a long time through the desert and into the promised land, you're going to stop every seven days, every seven days. I want us to turn to the gospel of Mark chapter 2. Mark 2. And this is Jesus, and he's, he's going through the grain fields with his disciples, right? You know the story. He's walking around. By the way, Jesus was always getting in trouble on the Sabbath. <laughs> if you didn't notice this, he keeps getting in trouble on the Sabbath with the, 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 the muckety-mucks, the legal authorities, the, the, the law keepers. But in this day, he was walking through. I can just imagine him walking through the, the fields of grain, and he's picking heads to put in for his disciples, what it says. And when the Pharisees see him, they call him on the carpet for working on the Sabbath. Let's see what Jesus says then. This is Mark 2, 27. Then Jesus answered the Pharisees and said, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I'm going to stop there. So their accusation is, how could you be working today, Jesus? You claim to be a Jew. You're not supposed to work on a Sabbath, and here you are picking grain for your disciples. And you know there's some explanation in the text. I know it, but he's just doing the work. He's doing the work. And he says this profound thing that I think starts to kind of fulfill or round out God's intended purpose for rest, that it's not one more thing to do. <laughs> Have you ever tried to hurry up and relax? <laughs> it's impossible, right? I'm just going to get there. I'm going to relax fast. It's a pattern of life. Listen now. Every seventh day where you stop, and Jesus says this about that day, man is not made for Sabbath. Mankind is not made for Sabbath. Notice he doesn't refer to the law. He doesn't say anything about that, nor even to the commandment, but rather he refers to God's intent, listen now, in creating rest. <laughs> say it again. God's design builds in rest for his creation. That should be no shock to us. But I, I think many of us live as if we're always on, always available, always working. By the way, I have to confess to you the irony this week. I did not get a Sabbath this week. <laughs> My birthday happened. It was a crazy week. I was behind all the time. We're doing this building stuff. And, and I, I'm, I thought it was funny. I'm prepping in here. I'm like, okay, I'm going to preach this, Lord, but I didn't even do this. But hear the blessing. You are not, you are not made to serve the Sabbath. That is not God's intention with Sabbath rest. It's not one more thing in your to-do list. But listen, but the Sabbath was made for mankind. Do you hear the difference? It was made for you, not you for it. 
That means that God gives you, I want to just stand on this for a minute, absolute permission to stop. <laughs> stop. You don't know my life, man. You don't know I got bills to pay. Stop. I got a lot of responsibilities, man. If I'm not there at work, man, you don't stop. Why? Not because Bill says it. Don't listen to me. God says it. Jesus himself says, no, Sabbath is made for mankind. It's to, what's he implying? It's to be a blessing to you. You get permission to rest. Jesus says, but the Sabbath is made for people, for his people, for all people. Listen, God intends Sabbath rest to be a blessing for you and everyone else, an opportunity to stop doing and appreciate all he has already done. Do you see what he did when he rested on the seventh day? He just enjoyed it. That's cool. And because God, and this is, I've heard it said before, if God can take a day off, so can you. Can you imagine that? If God says, that's good, I don't need the seven days to do what I, so can you. And he roots the blessing in himself to just stop and celebrate everything he's done, appreciate all God has blessed us with. One day a week, Sabbath rest to be a blessing. By the way, it's not to be a blessing for you alone or God's people alone, because that's what it would have said. But the alien who lives among you, that means the one who doesn't know of God deserves a break. That means that if we have positions of authority, we ought to exercise them in such a way to make sure that people get a day off. It's just, it's right, it's good that they should stop doing everything and be able to appreciate all God has blessed them with. So then it becomes a question, now wait a minute, is Sabbath rest just one more thing we have to do every week? Or is it an opportunity to celebrate what God has already done, right? We have permission to stop. Yeah, but God, you don't understand. We don't have where to go as a church. Stop. <laughs> but there's the clean out thing at the got Stop, right? But there's families in crisis and stop. No, because God is more than capable of handling everything that he's put in place. We are allowed to rest. We are encouraged to rest. You could say we're commanded to rest, but I want you to understand how Jesus says, no, the Sabbath's made for you to be a blessing. And if God gives us permission to rest, we ought to give ourselves permission to just stop and celebrate God. So what do we do then? How do we do it? We're going to have one final stop here. Well, actually, we're going to finish up here in 228, and then we're going to have one final stop in Hebrews. But 228 says this. If I can find my spot here. Sabbath was made, was not, uh, let's see, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, what Jesus says. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. So now he actually turns the teaching into his own authority. And that's exactly, I said to you earlier, like Jesus got in trouble on Sabbath a lot because he was de demonstrating his authority in this life. People said, oh, you can't heal on the Sabbath. He's like, watch me. Oh, you can't pick grain on the Sabbath. He's like, watch me. Because Sabbath is meant to be a blessing. God's kingdom come. It was going to be a, a manifestation of God's favor here. And he said, and you now know that the Son of Man is Lord, that means commander and boss, even over the Sabbath. So that means not only are you commanded and encouraged and allowed, and not only is it for you, but Jesus himself is in charge of it. And he's like, 
I am the Lord, even, the word says, over the Sabbath, including the Sabbath. There's no part of God's authority that escapes Jesus Christ. So then how do we enter that rest? And we're going to turn to Hebrews, and we're going to look at Hebrews um, 4, 1 through 11. And this text is beautiful, all the Bible is, but it, it, it's one of those that just kind of makes my head a little, a little rat's nest up there. You know, it's just it's so, it's like Romans that way. It just gets me so knotted up. So I'm going to try to read through it, and then we're going to try to talk through some of the principles that we see in Hebrews chapter 4. I will say, though, to ground it, that the author of Hebrews is making the case for Jesus being the Christ, the Messiah. It's written to the Jewish audience, but it's, it's written in such a way that he's encouraging, he's pleading, he's, he's uh, begging almost that you would believe the gospel of Jesus. So here, how do you enter Sabbath rest? Verse uh, 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, you know, because we should be believing Jesus Christ, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, that's God's rest, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it, of what? The rest of God. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have been believed enter that rest, just as God says, so I declare on my oath in anger, they shall never enter my rest. That's exactly where that first knock comes in for me. It's like, wait a minute. You just said we're going to enter rest, but we're not because God says you're not. That's for those who are disobedient to his call to rest. Look at, and yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. Because somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day, the seventh day in creation, in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his labor. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains then that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached them did not go in because of their disobedience. And that's that word is tied back there, that word of faith in uh, verse 2 is tied to the word disobedience. And they're not obeying God and entering into his rest. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling that day today, when a long time later he spoke through David as was as was said before, today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. Because if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken about another day later. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Because anyone who enters God's rest also rests from all their own work, just as God rested from his own work. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall short by following their example of disobedience. Now, that's a lot, but I just want to unpack it for a minute. He's talking about believing in Jesus Christ as entering into Sabbath rest. He says a couple things about this. He's making a case for faith in Jesus Christ. And the author encourages us to enter into God's rest in Jesus. 
I know we're a church and you go, oh, it's always Jesus, but that's the model he's laying out here. You believe in Jesus because he's going to bring rest to God's people and you can enter into that rest. Here's some things he says. First, the promise of entering rest still stands. That's in verse four. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, that means he's going to make a case that there's those who refuse the rest of Jesus, they won't enter into it, but that here the offer still stands that you or I or anyone else, those who think they're far from God, can enter into rest in Jesus Christ. 100%, the offer still stands. The promise of entering God's rest still stands. Second, we have the good news of Jesus proclaimed to us and that in faith we should obey. And this is found in verse 2. Because we have also had the gospel preached to us, the good news, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value because they disobeyed it. And so it's obedience to the gospel of Jesus that we are, we're called into his presence. And this is a relationship with him. I'll be clear about that. But that relationship brings rest. Where you see it, verse three. We who have believed enter that rest. In verse three, where are we at here? Now, we who have believed, past tense, enter present tense, that rest, just as God has said. And so in our belief in Christ, we enter the rest of God. But there are some final things in here. Verse 4 and verse 6. There are still some who have yet to enter, even though his work has been, create, has been finished since the creation of the world. Verse 4. Somewhere he's spoken about the seventh day, and on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And now verse 6, it still remains that some will yet enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached did not go in because they disobeyed. Therefore, God set a dime called today, when a long time later he spoke through David. Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts, but what? Enter his rest. It remains that some of us then still on days, God's day off, refuse to do it, to, to, to believe it. And instead of believing the good news of Jesus, we, we pursue more, we do more, and that day is called today. So, so the question I have then is how do you enter, or how, how do you enter the Sabbath rest of God? How do you actually do it? <laughs> you believe in Jesus Christ first. You believe that he provided everything you need in him. That, that we were talking about uh, as a church, we take this journey, and it's like, we are making disciples of Jesus Christ. And as long as, and that, I mean, I don't mean as, a, mean as people, not as an organization, as a people. We're making disciples of Jesus Christ. We're becoming disciples of Jesus Christ all the time, believing more and more. Someone's like, what are you going to do? If all, you can't take it away. <laughs> we're making disciples of Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. We enter the rest of God by believing in Jesus Christ. That's how everyone enters into God's rest. People are, and this is the funny thing, but people are stressed out and whacked out and, you know, everything else because they're not believing in Jesus. Listen, we should have, be not surprised by the state of the world, but we ought to be surprised a little by the state of our heart that we as those who claim to believe in Christ can't take a day, can't take can't stop. Some takeaways then. How do we do it practically? This is what I believe the Bible lays out as principles. These aren't commands I'm giving you, but these are principles, standards of how God established Sabbath. First of all, it should be periodic, regular. 
a habit. You say, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna take a break when I get time. I'm gonna take a break when I get there. No, every seven days or every seventh day you stop. I don't know that it has to be a Sunday, right? I don't know it has to be Saturday. That's a typical Sabbath. The traditional Sabbath is Saturday, right? Until Christ rose on Sunday. I don't know that it has to be Monday. I don't know what it has to be, but it needs to be periodic and often a reminder, a stop, a stopping. I was recently listening to, uh, to someone who's been practicing Sabbath for years, and now that the culture and the world has seemed to have gotten so crazy, they said, oh, I can't wait to turn off my phone on Sabbath. No. You could turn your phone off? Do you believe that? If I, if I go somewhere without my phone, I'm like, I'm missing something. I'm missing. I have to go back. Can we go back and get it? Let's go back and get it. I left it on the counter. It'll be all alone without me. Someone said, I can't wait till Sabbath so I can get off Facebook for a day. I can stop reading the retweets, the news feed. I can't wait till Sabbath because I can just stop. I can't wait till Sabbath so I can forget all my employer's problems. Should be off enough to remind us. And I, I, I hear the objections in my own head right now. Yeah, but that's hard. Every seven days, all the time. Second thing, Sabbath should counteract or contradict all of our striving. See, this is where it gets really weird because, like, you know, you, you got that example of Jesus picking grains on Sunday, and you're like, on, on Sabbath, and it's like, well, hey, you're picking, you're doing work. It's, we can do work. We can light fires. We can drive the car a little. We can go. We can do things. But it ought to have as a defining feature that we are not trying to accomplish all of our goals, unless that's to rest and delight in the Lord. It doesn't mean, I don't, you know, like, I don't have an answer. It doesn't mean you can't go have fun. I mean, you can't, you know, light a fire in your stove, but it means you're not doing, you're not trying, you're just said, I've done everything I can do for the week, and I'm taking a day, and I'm going to delight in all God has provided for me, in all God's blessings, and all his favor, and all the opportunity, and all the failure, and everything I've had. I'm just going to sit in it today, and I'm going to enjoy God. It should contradict or counteract our striving, our efforts, our self-reliance. What that looks like. And then third, the Sabbath should have its root or its rest in Jesus Christ. Do you know how powerful it is to tell yourself, but I'm saved. I know Christ. Like, the whole world's gone sideways. Your own life is sideways. Your own stupidity, your own sin, right? Your own failures, your everything's going wrong. And how powerful does he say, yeah, but even still, I can rest in my Savior, Jesus. This is what the world longs for, a Savior they can count on, one who is not, you know, wore out, stressed out, hanging on by a thread, but a God who is fully in control. Jesus Christ promises people, you will enter my rest. I think it's wild, man. When Jesus shows up for his disciples after resurrection, he says, peace. Where's our peace in life? Let me ask you this. Will you enter into God's rest today by believing in Jesus? And you're like, man, I already believe in Jesus. Bill, I've been a believer for 20 years. But do our lives look like that? 
Do we look like we believe in him? In John 19, Jesus is on the cross. My favorite, one of my favorite words in the Bible. He's on the cross. He's paying for the sins of the world. And as he's uh, bleeding out, he says these, this word, tetelestai. I love that word. You know, it's one of the only words in the Bible that they don't translate for us. They say tetelestai. And they go, I mean, they don't tran- it doesn't get translated in the moment because it's, it's, it's explained in the next line. It says, which means it is finished. To all the work that needs to be done, to all the striving and all the, all the suffering and all the pain and all the hurt, listen to me, all the justice and all the loss and all the heartache and all the hopes and everything is finished. He's done it. And that that rest, tetelestai, that Christ brought on the cross is rooted in God's Sabbath rest in the beginning, designed for his people. I wonder, do we enter that rest? The tetelestai of Christ, Lord, is finished. Pray with me if you will. Father God, I thank you so much for that reality that in Jesus Christ we have a finished work that in our lives, disciples, Lord, we are like the ones in the boat who are freaking out when the storms come and who are uncertain and, and unsure and sinking in the water and all the stuff that we hear, Father, that our lives. But Lord, you have accomplished everything we need. I pray this morning for those who maybe find themselves, you know, running around and uh, not having any kind of anchor or confidence in what you're doing, that, they, that they're just washed, lost in this broken world, that you would reach out by your saving grace, by the power of your Holy Spirit, and you would save them from the storm. Lord, for those of us who've trusted you, that we remember that, and that we would demonstrate it by our lives, that we would say, that's good, no. I, I'm, I trust Jesus. One day a week, Father, that we would give you time, that we'd stop. And Lord, I'll be honest, I, I don't want to impose some kind of new law on us, that we, but that I pray that we could see in this the great freedom you bring, that yeah, we have work to do, and yeah, we have responsibility, Father, but you have handled everything. Help us to learn to rest. Help me to learn to rest in you. And as you lay out this pattern of life, may it lead to greater and greater dependence, greater and greater awareness, greater and greater acknowledgement that no matter what we are doing, if it's not in your name, it's in vain. Help us to be faithful with this life you've given us. Bless us, Lord, as we enter your rest. Bless those who are trusting you for salvation that we might know you more. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.